are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good show for you today. We don't have a ton of topics, but there are some things we need to talk about, including this unbelievable story happening in college basketball over the last few days that we just found out in regards to Alabama basketball and a murder. If you haven't heard this story, you need to listen to this. College football possibly undergoing some rule changes for next year. I'll go over those four rule changes. Two of them I'm fine with. One of them I'm eh, and the other one I hate. We'll go over those, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the shift in baseball. I've got some numbers for you on how much the shift has affected baseball players over the last few years. It's pretty amazing, and we'll get to that momentarily. Let's start, though, with Alabama basketball. Here's the footnotes, the Cliff Notes version. A woman named Jamea Janae Harris, 23-year-old, was shot in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I believe this was about a month ago on January 15th. It has been determined that she was shot while in a car by now former Alabama basketball players Darius Miles and Michael Lynn Davis. Well, in court documents, it has now been revealed that Alabama freshman basketball player Brandon Miller, who, if you don't know, has the chance to be the player of the year in college basketball. And he's probably going to be a top five pick in the NBA. Alabama is the number two team in the nation. This isn't something that's happening at a nondescript school. That it, This is happening to the number two team in the nation. It has now been revealed through testimony that Brandon Miller provided Darius Miles' gun to him on the night of the fatal shooting because Miles texted him and asked him to do so. Now, there is some issue being brought up of whether or not Miles texted him and said, hey, bring me your gun or hey, get my gun and bring it to me. Either way, I don't think that's relevant. If it's De- if it's Brandon Miller's gun and he brought it to a guy that ended up in a murder, well, certainly not good. But I think it's just as bad if he brought a gun to a guy, even if it's like his if it was Darius Miles' gun and he said, Hey man, can you bring me my gun? And he did. That's what came out in testimony. That he provided a gun to a friend and then wasn't part of the shooting, wasn't near it, but just provided the gun. And now someone ends up dead. So the case is going to be sent to a grand jury, and now everybody in Alabama's world is obviously, this is a huge deal. This is happening to the best player on the number two team in the nation. What do you do? Now, where it kind of struck a nerve with people yesterday was Alabama head coach Nate Oates giving his first statement about it, saying he knew about Miller allegedly bringing the gun to Miles. And he said, quote, can't control everything everybody does outside of practice. Nobody knew that was going to happen. Brandon hasn't been in any type of trouble, nor is he in any type of trouble in this case. Wrong spot at the wrong time. End quote. Well, Nate Oates took a ton of shit on social media for that quote. So he had to come out with a statement later on saying, clarifying what he meant when he termed his unfortunate remarks after obviously receiving criticism, 
and he said, we were informed by law enforcement of other student athletes being in the vicinity and law enforcement has repeatedly told us that no other student athletes were suspects. They were witnesses only. Our understanding is that they have all been fully truthful and cooperative. In no way did I intend to downplay the seriousness of this situation or the tragedy of that night. My prayers continue to go out for Jamia Harris's family. Okay. I understand he had to do that because saying wrong spot at the wrong time is probably one of the worst things you could say in that moment. But this brings up a very head-scratching dilemma. Because he hasn't been charged with anything, Brandon Miller, the best player, the best freshman in the nation, and the best player on the number two team in the nation. He hasn't been charged with anything. But it came out in testimony yesterday that he gave the gun to somebody who then ended up shooting somebody and killing them. But what do you do? And this case is going to a jury, and clearly Alabama has a shot at a national championship this year. They're obviously going to want him to play, and they'll probably stand behind, why am I going to suspend a kid who hasn't been charged with anything? I guarantee that's going to be their stance. However, in this day and age, I don't know if that's good enough. You don't. Yes, you're innocent until proven guilty, but it's been proven that he provided a gun. I don't know what the laws are. I don't have a law book in front of me in terms of what that necessarily means, but I can't imagine that you just get off scot-free for providing someone a gun that ends up killing somebody later on that night. I don't care if you just said, hey, man, here's the gun. I'm going to Disneyland, and you were on a ride at Disneyland, and a murder occurs. You provided the gun. Guy texted you and said, can you get either your gun or my gun? If it's Miller's gun, we got a whole different story. But if it's not, I'm saying like best case scenario, it wasn't his gun. And Darius Miles just said, hey, can you get me that gun that I own? It's in, you know, it's in my second drawer in my bedroom. But he gave it to him. If your friend asked you, hey, can you bring me my gun? Wouldn't you have questions? Wouldn't you be like, hey, man, what do you need your gun for? You're out tonight. I I have no idea what's going to happen legally. I have no idea what the school is going to do. Right now, a lot of things are being said. My prediction right now on Wednesday, February 22nd, is I think he's done. I think you can't play this guy the rest of the season. And yes, that's going to kill Alabama's chances at a national championship. I don't think he can do it. They're probably going to play him until they're told they can't because they know they have an excellent shot. They're going to be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. But holy shit, this is not good. I I, I don't know. I don't think they should. I, I, I Unfortunately, I, I know Bama fans, you're dying to – be good in basketball, and this is your chance, and you got a chance to win it. I'm sorry. The guy provided a gun, and someone's dead because he brought the gun to his friend. He didn't shoot it. He didn't pull the trigger. I get it. He didn't kill anybody. I get it. But, man, he did something wrong here. He's definitely guilty of bad judgment. 
if not horrible judgment, is that enough to where he should end his career in college basketball and not play the, I think Alabama has four games left, the SEC championship, and then the NCAA tournament. Man, I, I don't know. I don't think you can play this guy. But maybe there's things about this case that uh, there's still things that need to come out that I don't know about. But based on what I've heard so far, I, I think that you can't play him. That's my personal opinion. I just, he did a very bad thing. And the media attention surrounding him and every reporter wanting to talk to this kid after every practice and every game for the rest of the season, it's going to be a major, major distraction. So my personal opinion, don't play the guy. Unfortunately, great kid, one of the best freshmen I've seen this year and one of the best freshmen I've seen in the last five years in college basketball, he's going to be a good pro someday, assuming he doesn't end up in jail for we find out maybe something else happened and he was maybe even more part of it than we thought. I don't know. There's still details that we don't know about. But what we do know is under oath, a policeman testified that Miles texted Brandon Miller and asked for his gun and Miller delivered it to him. I, I just, I don't know if that's a good thing. Well, I know it's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. Somebody's dead. And he provided his gun to a friend. Don't play him. Just don't play him. All right, let's move on to college football now. The leaders and the powers that be in college football have been reviewing four specific changes to clock rules because the complaint about college football is the games take too long because the clock stops on all first downs. And, you know, until the ball is reset, the clock stops. You know, you get a first down, you run down the field, you line up again, but the clock doesn't restart until you snap, uh, until the, the referees put the ball down in front of the center. So, they are finding out a way to possibly make the game quicker. Now, two rules that I have no problem with. I don't mind if they implement these rules. One, prohibiting consecutive timeouts, meaning icing kickers. You know, teams got three timeouts left, two seconds left before halftime, and they use all three timeouts to ice a kicker. Just get rid of that. Just can, One is enough. The other thing is no longer extending the first or third quarter for an untimed down if the quarter ends on a defensive penalty. I'm fine with that. The down would just be starting the clock starting the next quarter. That's fine. Now, the third is apparently has gotten a lot of support is basically like the NFL rule. The clock will continue to run in college football after an offense gains a first down, except inside two minutes and a half. I need to think about that one more. I kind of like the fact that college is different from the NFL and that the clock stops, but I understand we do get four-hour games a lot because of this, especially in offenses that are just moving up and down the field. Now, the fourth proposal is something that apparently it's a little more controversial, don't know if it's going to pass, but they want the clock to continue to run after an incomplete pass once the ball is spotted for play. I don't like that. 
I say you pass one or the other in terms of those last two. If you're going to pass the third one, which is, hey, we're going to the NFL rule, clock isn't stopping on first downs anymore unless it's inside of two minutes, I'm fine with that. Well, the NFL doesn't even stop it within inside of two minutes on a first down. But if college wants to do that, I'm fine with that. But that also means, to me, you can't start the clock on incomplete passes once the ball is reset. No. Now, if you want to do that and not do stop the clock when an offense gains a first down, I'm fine with that. But I don't want both. I think that's too much. I think a lot of you probably think that's too much. I mean, come on. I have no problem with college football games. Well, <laughs> as a gambler and being in the central time zone, you know the morning games start at 11. The mid-afternoon games start at 2.30. Sometimes those 11 o'clock games are not over by 2.30, and your bets haven't registered yet, and you're waiting for stuff to register before you put your next bet in. So, yeah, I get it. It'd be nice that every game was over <laughs> uh, in the three-and-a-half-hour window that it's given on the college football television schedule for the most part. But uh, I don't want to see Al four. Uh, I'll, I'll take the first two. No problem with those. No icing the kicker. No one time down. I'm fine with that. But if I had to choose one between the third and the fourth one, I guess I would go offense, uh, keep the clock running, and on first down, when offense gains a first down, except inside of two minutes. I just don't think throwing an incomplete pass, the clock should never start again until the ball is hiked, not when the ball is set. So I'd, if I'm going to approve one of those last two, I'll approve the third one. And, you know, of course, I'm on the committee here, so of course what I say goes, that's just my opinion. I, that's what I would vote for, but I don't have a vote in this. I have no say in any of this. But, man, I, I can't believe – I understand that this, the games are running long in college football. But I, I've i always kind of liked the fact that college football is different in that the clock stops after a first down. And, look, if you look at the numbers, there's only been a five-minute difference in the last five years in college football. In 2018, the average game took three, three hours and 16 minutes. 2019, same, three hours and 16 minutes. 2020, it went up five minutes to three hours and 21 minutes. 2021, it went back down three minutes to three hours and 18 minutes. And then 2022, back up to three hours and 21 minutes. Average game. So in the last five years, it's not like the games have gotten 10, 15, 20 minutes longer. They've only gone up by an average of five minutes. College takes longer than the NFL because there are more plays run in college football. The average is 180 plays run in a college football game. In the NFL, it's around 155 Professional games, NFL games, halftime is only 12 minutes. College halftimes are 20 minutes. The replay system in NFL relies on coaches' challenge in college. An official in the press box can review each play that they want for accuracy. So I get it. It's a longer game, but I'm used to that, and I'm fine with it. You know, the NFL, they schedule their games three hours and ten minutes because that's the average the average NFL game is three hours and 10 minutes. So college last year was 11 minutes longer. But out here at Central Time, the morning games start at noon. The early afternoon games start at 310, and the NFL and the game of the week starts at 325. So some games are three hours and 10 minutes later. Some games are three hours and 25 minutes later, which makes sense because the average game is 310. But college, 
Yeah. You know my thoughts. Be interesting to see what they do. And finally, we're going to talk about the shift in baseball and how it's affected some players' numbers. Well, we know it's affected numbers all across the board. Batting averages down across the board. Runs are down per game. And it's just Major League Baseball is looking to add more entertainment value they can. And that's why starting this season, you have to have at the time of the pitch two guys on each side of second base and your heels have to be on the dirt. You can't be sitting in short right field as a second baseman anymore, which has taken away a ton of hits from left-handed hitters. Here's some statistics that I didn't know until I saw the article. I'm like, okay, like I was never sold on the shift. You've heard me the last few days. I'm like, eh, I don't, I don't know. It seems weird. You're telling teams, no, you can't put the best defense out there. But man, when I look at these numbers, I'm like, man, this is really killing the sport. Shohei Otani, arguably the most exciting player in all of baseball, pitcher and hitter for the Los Angeles Angels. He made 64 outs last year on balls that he hit 100 miles an hour against the shift. Only two other players in Major League Baseball suffered more outs on balls hit that hard. Last year, there were over 4,000 balls hit over 100 miles an hour that ended up in outs against the shift. In 2015, that number was 1,067. So almost four times as many outs are being made now than it was in 2015 when teams weren't really doing this shift. And the biggest example of this, and I'm not just saying this because it's a local guy and maybe because he was on my fantasy team last year and he stunk, but um, was former Dodger shortstop and now Texas Ranger shortstop Corey Seager. When Corey Seager, in 2016, when Corey Seager was at bat, he only 11% of the time the other team shifted on him, meaning they put three infielders on the right side of second base. And in 2016, against those shifts, only 11% of the time when he faced a shift, he hit 333 on balls that he put to the right side of the infield. Last year, he hit 239 on those same balls, and he faced shifts 93% of the time that he came up to bat. So any of you, any of you that are in some sort of fantasy baseball league and you hear a stat like that, basically just know that Corey Seager is going to be a lot better this year, statistically. Assuming he hits the ball roughly in the same areas that he does, he's now only got one second base defender on the right side of the infield instead of the second baseman playing in deep right and the shortstop playing right around the second base position. 93% of the time he came up last year, they put a shift on him. And every time he connected and hit the ball into that shift, he only hit two. He only hit 239. Back before people were shifting on him and he only faced at 11%, 333. It's almost 100 percentage points. And basically, baseball is saying, hey, we're in the entertainment business. This isn't entertainment. Fans spend a lot of money on tickets, food, beverages, parking to come to a game. They don't want to see hits being taken away from the best players in the game, and that's what the shift has done. Shit, I've, only, I've basically done a 180 in this podcast on how I feel about the shift. Yeah. While it does seem weird to say, no, you can't have your best defense out there, this is about entertainment. And I want to be entertained when I watch sports. 
and watching a bunch of 2-1 games and the best hitters in baseball firing lasers off their bat and only you know, hitting into an out because some second baseman is allowed to be in deep right field or short right field, no thanks. I'm sold. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm fine with eliminating the shift now. I've changed my mind. And the shift affects left-handed hitters the most because they were allowed to use three infielders on the right side of the bag, and it's just a shorter throw to first base. You don't do a shift, uh, for the most part, on the left side. It's mostly left-handed hitters are the ones getting screwed. Since 1969, there had never been a season with as few as 10 left-handed hitters getting at least 150 hits in a season. This is all coming from Tom Verducci of SI.com, who's literally the best baseball writer going today. Since 1969, never had been a season when 10 left-handed hitters had 150 hits. Then in 2021, it happened. And again, in 2022, it happened. That was half as many as there were in 17, 2017, when 20 left-handed hitters had 150 hits or more. And in 1998, 43 left-handed hitters had 150 hits or more. And the last two years, we couldn't get more than 10. Left-handed hitters on base percentage was 309, and batting average 236 last season was the worst in at least 21 years. I could go on and on with statistics in Tom Verducci's column, but if you want to read it yourself, these statistics are just, they're showing how bad the shift has been for the game. Just go to SI.com or just Google Tom Verducci shifts, and the title of the article is Major League Baseball is about to become much more exciting, which it is. It, it, it just is. There's no other way around it. The shift has killed baseball. Statistics, the sabermetric nerds have killed baseball. And this is, they're going to speed the game up by having a pitch clock, 15 seconds to throw the pitch from the time you catch the ball from the catcher. If nobody's on base, 20 seconds if someone's on base. You're only allowed two throwovers to first base per batter. Batter has to be in the batter's box with eight seconds left on the clock or else strike is automatically called like they're just trying to speed things up here and when they've done this in the minor leagues it has worked it has knocked 15 minutes off the average minor league game last year major league baseball i think the average was three hours and six minutes they want that around 250 245 so anyway go check it out if you're really interested in these numbers but yeah it's it really breaks down how bad the shift has been especially for left-handed hitters Thank you all for listening. Really appreciate it. Please rate, subscribe, and review an Apple podcast. Again, much appreciated. My daily roundup is up. You can check that out. My reader emails is going to be up on my website at realitysteve.com in about an hour from now, so go check that out as well. So thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See you!